Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me, we are continuing on in the story. Uh, we're in week, cha- week number eight. Week number eight. And uh, this is the book of Judges. And so we are starting the book of Judges this week. Now, we're in this series called The Story, and this is a 31-week walk through the entire Bible. So if you are just coming, you're like, hey, I'd like to, like to you know, kind of get started, you can get started and still get caught up. Uh, as a matter of fact, we, we want you to participate in this. This is a way, this is good to, if, if you've never read through all of the scriptures, or maybe you've only really looked at the New Testament, this is a great way to get your feet wet in terms of understanding the big picture of God's continuous story of his pursuing and redeeming a people for himself. And so we're going to put some books out in the back. If you have not gotten a book, just get a book. You don't have to buy it. Just just take a book, okay? So I don't know, Jack, if we can just grab a box of storybooks, put them in the back table before the service is over. And if you have not gotten a book, would you please grab a book? We want you to have a book to, to join with us in, in this because it, it is a great opportunity for us to continue to dig through God's Scripture one week at a time. And it covers big picture ideas, but it's going to help us as we go through the rest of God's Word for the rest of our lives. This will give us a context in which it helps us to put all the various pieces into place. And so this is a great way for us to get our feet wet. Okay. Let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning as we dig through his word. So Lord, this morning uh, we give thanks for um, the, the celebration of, of, of life, God, the, that you have brought life into the, the, the black family, into our church family, Lord. But we also say goodbye to Datha, Lord, how you continue to bring, you continue to give life. And Lord, as one goes, another comes. And so Lord, we, we pray for... Um, for Arrow Legend Black, God, that he would be a man after your heart, that he would pursue your ways with all that he is, God. We, we pray for Scott and Amanda and their family, God, that you would strengthen them and continue to uh, be with them in this next, especially these next few weeks. And uh, Lord, we pray for our time here in your word. God, we know that, your, that faith comes by hearing your word. And this morning we pray that as we hear your word, there would be an impartation of faith that you would give to each one of us. That there would be a faith that would rise up in us that is a gift from your spirit. That we could trust you, we could know you, and we could treasure you above all things, Lord Jesus, we pray. God, we ask that you would help us to fix our eyes upon you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we looked at, as we've gone through these past few months looking at the story, we've seen a a few things that come up week after week after week. The first thing is this, that we're introduced to, to Almighty God, who is the sovereign creator of all things. God has created the earth, the universe. He's created everything in it. He is the one who's in charge. He is in control. He... He understands all things, knows all things, is all powerful. And so we're introduced to God as the main character of our story. The main character of the story of God's word is not people, it's not animals, it's not planets. It's God Almighty. He is the main, the main actor, the main 
participant. He is the one who causes all things to happen. So we see God, in his great sovereignty, create mankind. Now, mankind is created in the image of God, is valuable and treasured by God, loved by God. Each person, individually, is, is treasured and savored and is, is, has dignity and value and worth, whether born or unborn, made in the image of God. But we also see this with mankind. We see that mankind is sinful. They reject God's rule in their lives. They, they want to go their own ways. And we each do this in many different ways in all of our life. But yet, in our rebellion against God, yet we are still loved and pursued by God. And that's the third point, is this, that we see God on a rescue mission to redeem and love the people that have rejected and rebelled against him. This is God's, this is God's one continuing story of his pursuit his mission to redeem a people who are lost apart from him. This is, a, this is a, a continuing saga, continuing story of God pursuing a people for himself. And so last week, we looked at Joshua, the great and mighty leader Joshua, who, is, who followed in Moses' footsteps to lead the people of Israel. And Joshua brings them into the promised land, finally, after 400 years in Egypt, after going through... 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, finally they, they get to the promised land. They, the Israelites get there, they begin to take over the promised land, begin to remove the, the, God, the, the people who are the enemies because of the people's wickedness and rebellion against God. They're removed from the land. And Israel begins to settle in the land. Then towards the end of the book of Joshua, we read that God gives the land rest. That there is finally, after, after decades and decades and after centuries and centuries of waiting, of pursuing, of toil, of hardship, of war, finally there is rest in the land. That God has given his people rest. And then God, in his grace and his mercy, says, I want you as my people to know me. I want you to fellowship with me. I want you to draw near to me. I'm going to put my presence in your midst in the tabernacle. I'm going to put my presence in the midst of my people. I'm going to give you an invitation to follow hard after me. I'm going to give you an invitation to walk with me, to know my ways, to come near to me. And so finally we get to the book of Judges. And we think, oh, Israel, finally they've got rest. Finally, God's presence is in their midst. Finally, there's a people established for God's purposes. And then we come to the beginning of the book of Joshua. I mean, Judges, sorry. Let's begin reading. This is on page 103 in the story. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and all of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. All right, that's good. Praise God. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All right, so things are going well so far. Joshua has passed away. There's still a generation of people who have seen all the mighty works that God had done 
And so finally, there's rest from war. God's in their midst. Things couldn't get any better than this. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him to serve the Baals and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. And then we read this, they were in great distress. And so we here we are introduced to the new generation of Israel who were God's people who had their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents had experienced an unbelievable deliverance from Almighty God. They had seen the work of the Lord. They had experienced God's provision in the wilderness. They had they have experienced God's mighty hand in their midst. But instead of following after the Lord, instead of responding to this invitation to walk with God, they decide to go their own way. They decide to break covenant with God. And if you remember, there's a covenant that Israel made with God. And they said, look, we are going to be your people. And you will be our God. And this is an exclusive relationship. There is no amount of, of us kind of an open relationship where we can date whoever we want. We'll go see other gods if we want. We'll, we'll, we'll do the things that the people in the land are doing. God says, none of that. This is, an, this is an exclusive relationship with me. And I want you to follow me wholeheartedly, completely. So what happens is, is that people become unfaithful to the promises they have made to God. But God is yet still faithful to the promises that he made. It says, the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them that he would do. So the Lord's saying, look, we made this a covenant together, saying, you're going to follow me wholeheartedly, and I will be your God wholeheartedly. I will give you victory and rest, and you will be my people. And they said, we're, going to, we're not going to be your people. We're not going to follow you. And God said, well, then I'm going to do the very thing I promised you that I would do. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices in stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation 
has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors had done. This, these few paragraphs summarize the entire book of Judges. If you want to know what the rest of the book of Judges has to say, it is this exact pattern happening over and over and over and over again. This is the entire book of Judges. And this morning, we're not going to have time to dig into to Samson and, and Deborah and, and all these other just beautiful stories of God's deliverance. I encourage you, encourage you. Judges is a really fascinating book, especially for guys. This is, this is like a guy's book, okay? It's a book of wars and deliverance and, and all these feats of strength that are happening. If, if you're a guy and you're like, oh, I'm thinking about kind of digging into the Bible apart from what I read in here, man, this is the book to get into, all right? It's a fascinating book. We're not going to have time to dig into all these things, but I want to encourage you, I want to give you this morning a framework and how you can understand the book of Judges. So your homework's not done after we finish the sermon this morning. It's only just beginning. I want to encourage you to dig into God's Word. So let's look at this pattern that we see in the book of Judges play out over and over and over again, which we just read about. So first thing is this. We see a sin. There's sin. And I think we have a slide, actually, if we have that or no. Yes. Sweet. Okay. Wow. That's cool. So... The first thing we see in this book is sin. Is that the people of God who have been called by his name, who are, who are given the task, the responsibility, according to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that they were to be the ministers of God's, to the rest of the earth as God's people. They were to be the ones who would tell others about how great God was, how glorious God was, what it meant to live in a covenant relationship with God. God's people were to be these kinds of ministers, but, but they themselves were unable to stay faithful to God. So what happened? They fell into sin. And we read in Judges 1 and 28 and in 2 verse 12, over and over and over again, the people failed to follow up and, and, and rid the land of all the foreign, foreign nations. And what happened was, is the allure of their of those people's gods was just too much for Israel. See, the other people in the land were, were polytheists. They believed in a multitude of gods. There was a, a pantheon of gods, a number of gods that they worshipped. They were not exclusive to any one god. So there would be a god for fertility, a god for, for uh, the crops in the land, a god of the sun. I mean, there's a number of different gods that they would worship. And it was perfectly normal for them to have a number of gods that they would follow and, and go after. Well, Israel's different. Almighty God says, no, I am the God. There is no other God but me. And I want you to worship me exclusively. And you could see where as Israel gets around these other, these other nations and they begin to talk and, and do business together. And these other nations are thinking, well, why do you have to be so exclusive to God? Surely there's... There's other gods you can worship. I mean, what's the big deal if you've got, you know, you've got Almighty God here, but you've also got Baal over here? 
Or you've got some other gods over here. I mean, why do you have to be so exclusive in your allegiance to God? And it was like this thing where the Israel just it was too much for them to resist. They begin to assimilate themselves into the surrounding culture around them. Sounds a lot like the place that we live in today, doesn't it? Look, you can worship any God you want except Jesus. Look, it doesn't matter what God you follow. It doesn't matter what path of life you're on. We're cool with that. But at the moment you say Jesus Christ, man, all hell breaks loose. We're not cool with that. Same thing with this. They want the people to follow. And what happens is they get sucked in and drawn and allured into this these other, serving these other gods. Along the way, kind of having God on the side, look, we'll still stay somewhat faithful to God, but we've got these other things as well. So what that leads to then, this sin, this idolatry, leads to oppression. Sin always leads to enslavement. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. It all, the road of sin, the path of sin, always leads to enslavement. Every step of the way. Doesn't matter what we think, how big, how little, if it's just this sin just affects me, it always, sin always has collateral damage. The people around us are always affected by our sin. Please don't ever believe the lie that my sin or your sin only affects me. It always affects the people around us. And so with Israel, it was this they would come under oppression of the foreign countries. The foreign countries would, would enslave them, would, would, would take their goods, they would, they would, they would take from them all the, the, the things that they had, they would force them to, to work for them. And so they themselves, Israel was unable to defend themselves against the foreign, foreign nations. And they found, and Israel found, that these gods whom they worshipped were unable to deliver them. Right? So God had promised, look, you follow me and I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to be your protector. I'm going to be your, your sustainer. And as soon as they walked away from that, their, their defense went down and they were unable to ward off the attacks of the, the neighboring countries. So we sin, which leads to oppression, which then would lead the people of God to repentance. So there was a genuine repentance that would take place. And look, we are under mass amounts of oppression and enslavement. Would you, God, would you please rescue us and please deliver us? God, please help us. They would turn back to their first love again. They'd cry out to God under the oppression of all the other people. And you know what God would do? He would deliver them. He would deliver them over and over and over again. God, in his mercy and his grace, after they had sinned, after the oppression, in their repentance, God would send a deliverer to help his people. He would raise up judges. And God himself would orchestrate the deliverance. And that's one of the clear things in all of these passages of these judges is that God, we make, God makes sure we know that it's not the judge delivering the people because there's some insurmountable odds that would have to, things would have to happen. It was God himself who would deliver his people. And these judges, by the way, these guys are pretty messed up. Let me tell you, these guys had some, some addictions. These guys had some issues. These guys had problems with authority. I mean, the, the judges, by and large, had major, except for, I think, except for Deborah, really. She's one of these shining stars in this book. But the rest of these judges had some real issues. God was able to use imperfect people to accomplish his purposes. 
God used imperfect people, flawed people, major flaws, to accomplish his purposes. All right. I remember when I was when I was in college, I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college, uh, I developed a food allergy. And I wasn't quite sure what this food allergy, what, what, what brought on this, the, al- the allergic reaction. So what happened was, is I would eat something. I still, we still haven't figured out what it was. I would eat something, and what would happen is, is my, my face would swell up, my lips, my eyes, my ears, everything would swell up huge. I'd get hives all over my neck and back and arms. It's just like this terrible, terrible suffering that I was in. And the problem was when you're like that, there's not much you can do. I mean, you can't go to class like that, right? And at the time I was in school full-time, I had two part-time jobs. So I'm, I'm, I'm a busy person. And I, when, when, when I'd eat something like this, I would begin to swell up and then I'd have to I couldn't go to class, couldn't go to work, had to take a couple of days off. And in the meantime, um, and the, it got so bad eventually that I would have to go to the emergency room because my throat would start to swell up as well. And I found that when you go to the emergency room, usually you're there for hours on end, right? Well, I found the, the secret password to get in right away. It's my throat is swelling up and I can't breathe. If you say that at any emergency room, it's like the password to get in. Okay, we're not, you don't have to wait. We're going to get you right in. So if you've got a broken finger or something, you're like, hey, I, I think I broke my finger, but my throat's swelling up. Okay, we'll get you right in. No problem. And so what would happen, though, is, is I get this allergic reaction, and, and then I would just lay in bed. I'd think, Lord, this is so awful because I'd itch all over. It was just like, it was terrible. And I'd start making deals with God. God. If you would just heal me right now, I promise I will read my Bible like four hours a day for the rest of my life. God, if you would just take away these hives, I will pray fervently for all the nations all day long. And I'm going to do this for the next five years. And just these huge, these huge bargains with God that I would try to make to get better. Because, man, my life just, you couldn't push pause on in the middle of school and work and everything. And so eventually what happened is the swelling and everything would go back down again. Things would return to normal. And then, lo and behold, I wouldn't follow through with, uh, you know, praying four hours a day and praying for all the nations for the rest of my life. And, but this would happen over and over and over again. So sooner or later, I'd eat something and all of a sudden the highs would come back and I'm, start, I'm on my bed. Lord, this time I really will pray four hours a day. And this time I really do mean it. But it was this pattern, it was a pattern that would come, it was just, man, there'd be a, there would be oppression, right? This sickness would come over me. Uh, there would be repentance, Lord Jesus, I will follow you all the days of my life. And God would bring deliverance. Then I'd go right back to where I started before. And so there was just this pattern in my life of doing these things. Now, that's more of a dramatic expression, but I think for us, what I want us to see as well, is that so often we ourselves get stuck in patterns of sin, which leads to oppression, which may lead to repentance, maybe not. Maybe that cycle of sin and oppression, just, that is the cycle. There's no repentance. There's this cycle. 
but then there's repentance, and then God brings deliverance. And I want us to see this because I think as we read, as we read these pages in God's scripture, it's so easy for us to look at Israel and think, man, these guys were so stupid. I mean, really? Do you really think Baal was going to deliver you? Do you really think that following these, these gods that you've made out of wood and gold, do you think they are going to be able to set you free? We look at this and think, how foolish. I can't believe these guys would ever think that these idols that they had created, made with their own hands, would somehow have magical powers to deliver them from all their oppressors. And we distance ourselves from this story and say, well, good thing I'm not like those Israelites. I would never, ever do anything like that. I would never trust in anything but the Lord to deliver me. I would never give myself to anything but God. I mean, the Israelites, they they were messed up, but fortunate for me, I'm not. I've got it figured out. And I think for us this morning, I want us to see this, and I want us to, wherever we are at in this cycle, I want us to own it. And I want us to bring it to God. I want us to, to come to the Lord and ask for his deliverance that we would be able to walk in the freedom that he provides for us. So let's look at two things. One, the lower story and the upper story. So the lower story, what we see is the people are then beginning to prostitute themselves out to the other gods. The people are giving themselves to the other gods. Now that's the lower story that we see happening on earth. The people are worshiping the idols of the, the, the neighboring countries around them. Then we're given the upper story. And here's the upper story. What, what is God's perspective in the whole matter? He says, God, the hand of God was against his people. Look, they may be losing battles. That's not because they were inferior fighters. It's because the hand of the Lord was against them. Very clearly, he says, look, hey, God was against the people of Israel, just as he had sworn that he would do. Now, I want to briefly read what this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, and deliverance, how this plays out over and over and over again. Okay, turn with me to page 105. This is in Judges 4, verses 1 through 4. So we're going to skip that first slide. We're going to move right down to, to Deborah. So this is, this is what this looks like. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So there's the sin. Now that, that Ehud was dead. So this is the oppression. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. So there's the oppression who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Herosheth, Hagoyim, whatever. These things are so hard to say. I want, just you say it, okay? Let's see if you figure it out. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So here's repentance. They cried out to the Lord for help. So we see sin, oppression, repentance. And now we're, we're introduced to the deliverer. Now Deborah prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. And so the Lord raises up Deborah to deliver the people. Let's look over to Gideon, page 107. This is in Judges 6, page 107, or Judges chapter 6. Again, the Israelites, this is the sin, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So they're sinning against the God. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So here's the oppression, right? Sin, which leads to oppression. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive 
the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts and caves and strong, strongholds. And, and so then when these people would come down to invade Israel, they'd have to hide themselves and hide the, 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 the produce of the land so they, wouldn't, so they wouldn't have everything taken away from them. So down to the, um, the bottom of the, the chapter, or bottom of the paragraph, so Midian so impoverished the Israelites that, this is the repentance, they cried out to the Lord for help. So there's sin, oppression, the people cry out to God. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all the oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live but you have not listened to me. And then God raises up Gideon in his mercy and his grace. Lastly, we're going to look at Samson real quick. Page 112 or Judges 13. Like I said, we're skipping through these quickly. I encourage you, go back, read these stories. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. There it is. So, what do you think happens? The Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There's sin, there's oppression. We're not given what happens with the people when they cry out, but it's implied. The people here again cry out to God. Again, God sends a deliverer in the person of Samson. I wanted to give a couple of observations of looking through this pattern in these few chapters that we looked at today. First thing is this that we see God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing. There is a people who are hell-bent on rebelling against him. I mean, they every bone in their body is bent against the Lord. Man, every opportunity that they get to follow God, they run the, the, in the opposite direction as hard and fast as they can. And they only cry out to God when things get so bad that they have nowhere else to look but up. And so in doing so, they cry out to God in the face of of, of oppressor after oppressor after oppressor. And God hears their cry and he sends a deliverer to save them. This is the amazing grace of God that God would continue to send a deliverer after deliverer after deliverer after the people have completely bucked against God and turned their backs against him, knowing that the people that have gone before them did the exact same thing. It wasn't like they were clueless. They had, they had every idea of what was happening. They still turned against the Lord, and God still, in his grace and his mercy, sent deliverers to deliver. Now, although they had experienced the, deliver, the deliverance from the judges that God had raised up, their deliverance and their experience was only temporary. It really only lasted as long as the judge was alive. As soon as the judge passed away, the people, like it said in the beginning of the chapter, the people ran wholeheartedly after in the opposite direction. There was a, there was a temporary deliverance. There was, there was a freedom that was brought about by following and serving God. But as soon as the people turned their back, as soon as they left the Lord, as soon as the judge passed away, they immediately dove headfirst into the pool of idolatry. And lastly, we see that the judges were really, really 
flawed people. We could turn Samson's life into a summer blockbuster movie. There's war, revenge, seduction, murder, deceit. It's all there. And God is still able to use flawed people to accomplish his purposes. And at the end of the roller coaster of the book of Judges, we find ourselves longing for a deliverer who could once and for all deliver God's people. Would we finally experience a deliverer? Is there a deliverer in the house who could bring about a final deliverance? Who could once and for all accomplish all that the other judges were unable to accomplish? Do we have to stay on this roller coaster for the rest of our lives? Or is there a deliverer? Would God raise up a deliverer, a judge, who would be able to take once and for all a mighty deliverance of God's people and set them free to serve him for all time? Would there ever be a deliverer like this? Does anyone know where we could turn to find a deliverer like this? I think you know where I'm going with this one. What about us? Like I said, we, we could read this chapter and stare in absolute dumbfounded amazement at all the Israelites had experienced. The mighty, the mighty plagues in, in Egypt. The great deliverance, how they walked out of Egypt without ever lifting a finger and completely wiping the, the, the army of Egypt off the face of the, of the map. And then God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. And then God provides food in the wilderness. And then God begins to deliver them into the promised land and begins to take over, over, over town after town after city after city. And God begins to bring about an unbelievable deliverance of people who were formerly slaves for 400 years and gives them a, a beautiful land, a beautiful country. We, we look at that and think, man, how in the world could they ever be so foolish? And then I find in my own heart how many times I've walked into the gathering of God's people and there's been an invitation to worship the Lord. There's been an invitation to seek His face together, corporately. And I decide that I don't like the song. Or I'm not feeling up to it that day. Or instead of crying out and giving thanks to the one who saved my soul, I'm preoccupied with lunch or the football game after church. Instead of concern for my kids or my wife, I seek my own comfort, my own ease, my own, and I disconnect from them. And instead of serving them, instead of the incredible blessing that God has given to me to, to shepherd and care for, instead of that, I'd rather watch TV, play on the internet. Because I'm apathetic towards my neighbors, I keep a safe distance, refuse to engage with the dying world because it gets too messy, too much time. What if more is asked of me than I'm able to give? And when I do all those things, when I run to comfort and ease in apathy, serving my own self, who am I really serving? And all the while having God on the side, look, 
God, you're still here with me, man. I'm, I'm following you, but I've got these other things that are really important to me as well. Like my comfort, like my ways, like my ease, that I'll do anything to get. I will demand, I will argue, I will fight for. And I read this and I think, this, the Israelites in these pages describe me perfectly. Describes me perfectly. It's the way that I live my life. I long to be the king of my own world and I will do whatever it takes to get it. And I think this is exactly what happened to Israel. Sure, they had God over here on the side, but they also wanted these other things as well. Why can't we serve Baal? Why can't we serve these other gods? Why can't we just follow these other gods along? God, what's the big deal? Can't we just do all these things and serve you too? God says, absolutely not. question that I ask when I read this text, is there finally a deliverer for Israel? Yes. Is there a deliverer for me as well? Yes. This is where the gospel breaks in. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he is the ultimate and final judge and deliverer that Jesus Christ is the one who breaks into our selfishness, our apathy, our demand to do things our own way. Jesus Christ breaks in, in that pattern of sin and oppression, and he brings about a great and mighty deliverance, delivering me from myself. I no longer have to be the king because he's the king. I no longer have to worry about getting my own comfort and ease because God's promised to provide me all that I ever need. Jesus Christ breaks in. He is the final deliverer. And as we read the book of Judges, it should leave us with this longing. God, will there ever be a deliverer? Will there ever be a deliverer for your people who will finally, once and for all, bring about a great redemption of your people? That we don't have to get back on this roller coaster over and over and over again. And God says, yes, I sent my son. He will be the one who will bring a mighty deliverance. He is the one who breaks in, in our sin, in our oppression, and brings about a repentance and a deliverance. He is the one who does all of these things. Romans 2, 4 says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's God's mercy and grace that breaks the, 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 the cycle of sin and oppression in our lives. It's God's mercy and grace that breaks in where we are. It leads us to repentance. And where the judges were only able to provide a temporary deliverance, Jesus Christ has made a way for us to draw near to the Lord for all time. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. So I'm going to quickly read this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is that ministry that 
that was being talked about in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. That the, the offspring of Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. Now, we are charged with that very same responsibility. We are in that lineage. We carry on the ministry of reconciliation to the nations. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has, com- he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As through God, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's good news for us. It's good news because it breaks in right where we are. Jesus Christ meets us cares for us, draws us near, cleans us off, forgives us of our sins, breaks the chains of oppression around us. This morning as we end, I believe there's a call for us to find our hope in Jesus Christ. That no matter where we are, no matter what sin has beset us, no matter what's, where we are in our walk with the Lord or in not walking with the Lord, that God would offer to us the hope of repentance and deliverance through Jesus Christ that is far superior than anything we read in the book of Judges. Some kind of temporary, kind of patchwork deliverance. There is a... There is a real and eternal deliverance that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to pray. Wherever you are at in this, in this walk, if you have been caught in patterns of sin which are leading towards oppression and enslavement, God would direct you to repent. God's grace and his mercy, he sent a deliverer that he would break the chains of enslavement, give us a wholehearted love for him, that we would be able to walk in his ways. Maybe we ourselves are in a place of repentance. We need to continue to walk in repentance, to follow hard after him. And this is where the whole aspect of faith, faith comes from hearing God's word. God imparts faith to us through his word. This morning, I'm just going to pray and ask the Lord to continue to give us that gift of faith that we would walk out in repentance. And maybe we just maybe if we're at a place of we've been delivered. Maybe that's a place for us to give thanks to recognize that our deliverance did not come from ourselves, did not come from our own smart thinking or our ways. Our deliverance came from the Lord. And then we're going to pass out the communion elements and we're all going to celebrate communion together. Amen. So Lord Jesus, we, we want to say thank you this morning, Lord, that you are the final and ultimate judge once and for all. That when you deliver, no one can, can bring back into bondage. That when you set free, 
no one goes back. Lord, I pray today that we would find a place of grace and rest and mercy in you. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction of our sin, that we would find repentance. Lord, give us the gift of faith that we would turn to you and find our hope in you. Jesus, thank you for the way that you have set about to redeem a lost and dying people. Jesus, we owe you everything. God, we give you everything. We lay our lives before you. In your name we pray. Amen.